You are Locked On Kentucky, your daily podcast on the Kentucky Wildcats, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. All right, what's going on, Big Blue Nation? Welcome on in to Locked On Kentucky, your daily Kentucky Wildcats podcast. I'm your host, Lance Dahl, writer for Sports Illustrated for various SEC-related things. But on this podcast specifically, we take a dive into all things Kentucky athletics. Today's episode is brought to you by LinkedIn. I'd like to thank LinkedIn Jobs for being the official college football recruiting sponsor across the Locked On College Network. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the candidates you want to talk to faster. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. On today's episode of Locked On Kentucky, we are going to be talking a lot of football. In fact, to start off the show here, I want to read a five-star review. I told you guys that if you leave five-star reviews of the podcast, I'll I'll be willing to uh, shout you out. So somebody left a five-star review, and the reason I say somebody instead of giving them a name is is because uh, their name was literally just a bunch of keyboard gibberish, and I did not want to sit here and take 10 seconds to list out every single letter, but they left a five-star review, so I'm not complaining. And this was the five-star review. Need more football stories, not basketball. Kentucky football pays for their St. Peter's losing basketball team. That was the five-star review. Don't know if I necessarily agree uh, with the uh, the take that Kentucky football pays for their basketball team, but nonetheless, uh, unknown Listener, I will do you the favor of talking a lot of Kentucky football today. We're going to ask a question at the top here. I, I uh, threw out a poll on Rupp Rafters, YouTube, Twitter, asking you guys a question. Should you be more excited for Kentucky basketball or football this season? We're going to get to that in a second. We're also going to get to Kentucky football's 10 most important players, and we're going to ask the question, would a nine-game schedule Nine-game conference schedule positively or negatively impact the Wildcats. Going to get to that later on the show, but to start here, again, like I mentioned, put out a poll, received uh, a few hundred votes over the uh, uh, over three different platforms. Again, YouTube, Rupp Rafters, Twitter. If you're looking to kind of engage with the content uh, here on the channel, I'm normally on one of those three platforms. But yeah, I asked you guys a question, left you a poll. Should you be uh, more excited about Kentucky football or basketball this season if you had to choose one? Collected all the votes, 61.9% of you say that you are more excited about Kentucky basketball this season than Kentucky football. And I wouldn't say a lot of you, but I would say a decent amount of you just kind of had the same refrain about Kentucky basketball. And actually, one of the first comments I got on Rupp Rafters kind of sums up what most of you said. Basketball, just because that's the way it's always been at Kentucky, he chose basketball. And then he also said, and with basketball nearly every year, there's at least a hope that we might win it all. But with football, that seems like an impossibility, even during our best years. And most of you essentially said, yeah, I really, really like Kentucky football, but I'm more excited for Kentucky basketball. And that's just kind of the way that I view things. There were some of you out there that said, you know, I'm kind of growing tired of the way that the basketball program is is kind of playing out every single year. And I'm more excited about football because they're on the come up. And it's just going to be exciting to watch. There's nothing stale there. Nothing I feel like uh, some of you were like, it's, it's stuff that we may not have seen uh, out of out of one of these uh, athletic programs here at Kentucky. So, yeah, 61.9% of you said basketball. 38.1% of you said football. I'm going to go ahead and give you my opinion. Before I do that, though, I do want to pose the question to you guys who have not gotten the opportunity to answer the question. 
What are you more excited about? If you had to choose one, and I know some of you said, man, I'm excited about both. I get that. But if you had to choose one, what are you more excited for? Kentucky football or Kentucky basketball? And I think it's really easy uh, now that we're nine days away from the start of, uh, start of the season. I think it's really easy to say, oh, yeah, man, I'm excited about football. For those college football fanatics out there like myself, I'm just excited about the sport as a whole, and I'm really, really excited. One of the teams that I'm, I'm passionate about is actually going to be some sort of player. I mean, it's one of the, the few times Kentucky's been ranked inside of the top 25, so I'm excited about that. But And for me, you can go ahead and answer this question in the comments below or at LockedOnUK on Twitter. You can hit me there if you're listening on podcast. If I had to choose... I would pick Kentucky football. Now, some of you may say, that's ridiculous. You know, Kentucky basketball is the most important thing here. I disagree with Paul Feinbaum uh, with him saying everything's all about football. Uh, We talked about that recently on the show. But if I had to pick one for this season, if I had to pick one, it would be really, really tough, but I would pick football, and here's why. I believe that there is not more at stake for this year's Kentucky Wildcats football team. But there is so much potential within this individual singular team that my fear is that we don't see this season's peak for quite some time following this. Now you you may say, Lance, Mark Stoops has gotten the program to a point where we don't necessarily have to worry about these down years. We're kind of trending upwards as a whole, not just for this season, but you... Think about longevity with this program. I think we're in a really good spot. Recruiting's great right now. And I say, yeah, I get that. But because of the history within this this football program and the expectations that they have had consistently leading up until these past couple of years, it's really, really difficult for me to fully buy into, okay, under Stoops, this program's going to be fine. And not only that, they're going to get to a point where we consistently have to expect eight or nine win seasons, otherwise we're, there's an issue. I'm just, I'm really, really reluctant to kind of give myself over to that. So whenever I see a season where we legitimately could see 10, 11 wins if things go really, really well, it's difficult for me to kind of get away from that because we may not see it for a very long time. Whereas with basketball, who I believe is probably one of the two or three teams that has a very a legitimate shot at winning the national title this year, and that's not to diss. Uh, that's not to diss a bunch of programs out there, but I think Kentucky is like in that top three where it's like you know that these are the contenders and they're legitimate from beginning to end. While they could win a national title this year, the Wildcats could. We've seen them win eight. Now I haven't seen them win eight in my lifetime, but we've seen that program win eight. And so while it would be phenomenal, and I would if you had if you made me pick. Kentucky football national title or Kentucky basketball? I'd say basketball. That's that's easy for me for the title. But for excitement for this individual season, I'm going football. So that's my stance on it. I'm very, very excited about both. And I, the, the whole point of this was not to be like divisive and kind of separate fans uh, just, just because they like one thing over another. I'm just curious. I want to know what if you had to pick, what would you lean towards? And for me, it's football this year, again, because of the potential that we may not see for a very long time. Also, you have to ask the question here before we move on. You have to ask the question. Some people may not like this. How long is Mark Stoops going to be here? Is he going to retire here? Is he going to go to another job? Iowa? Maybe when Kirk Ferentz is done? We don't know. 
We don't know. We don't know how long this consistency is going to be here. So I'm not going to take it for granted. Can be really excited about it while also being really excited about basketball as well. Okay. I want to talk about Kentucky football's 10 most important players. Not the best players, the most important. They are invaluable. They, they're very, very difficult to replace. Going to talk about those 10 players in just a moment. Before I do that, though, I want to tell you guys a little bit more about our friends over at LinkedIn. As the sun comes out and small businesses are back in business, LinkedIn Jobs makes it easier for you to grow your team. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the people you want to interview faster, and it's all for free. You can create a free job post in minutes on LinkedIn Jobs to reach your network and beyond to the world's largest professional network of over 810 million people. Simple tools like screening questions make it easy to focus on candidates with just the right skills and experience so you can quickly prioritize who you'd like to interview and hire. It's why small businesses rate LinkedIn Jobs number one and delivering quality hires versus leading competitors. You can post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. Again, that's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. All right, moving along here on the Thursday edition of Locked On, Kentucky Lance Daw here with you. Kentucky football's 10 most important players. Again, I want to reiterate. Not the best players necessarily necessarily on this roster, although most of this list will feature the best player either at their position or one of the best players at their respective position. It's the most important players, the ones that you can't necessarily do without, the ones that could potentially turn the tide in games where Kentucky needs to pick up a victory or could pull an upset. So we're going to work from number 10, and we're going to work our, our, our way all the way up to number one. At number 10, I have Dane Key, freshman wide receiver. I believe Dane Key is going to be Kentucky's number two receiver. Statistically, I think he's going to be Kentucky's number two receiver. He is going to be very important to this offense because you look at the beginning of this season, these first four games, Chris Rodriguez, the running back, could potentially be out. If Kentucky is forced to throw the football a little bit more than they're accustomed to, they're going to be in some in-game live situations with a very inexperienced receiving court. That includes Tavion Robinson, by the way. And I say that just for the first three or four games of the season. Tavion Robinson is going to carry a load, and we'll get to him later on in the list. But I think that if I'm scouting the Wildcats, I'm putting extra emphasis on covering Tavion Robinson, especially if I'm Florida in that Week 2 matchup, and I'm making Will Levis connect with other inexperienced receivers. And I'm, I'm hounding them. I'm throwing them into the fire. If I'm Florida, I'm being very physical in that game. So I think Dane Key is going to need to step up, not just in the first four games of the season, by the way, even though it will be particularly important for him during that stretch, depending on how long Chris Rodriguez is out. But I think for the entire season, just finding some consistency with another target outside of Tavian Robinson will be important. There's another target actually on this list that I want to get to later on. At number nine, I have Jalen Geiger, the strong safety for the Wildcats. Look, somebody in this defensive back end has to step up, and I'm not calling for five, six, seven interceptions. I'm just calling for players to step up and create some turnovers or create a little havoc, okay? The the secondary was not terrible last season, but it was slightly under underneath average in the SEC. I want to see that improve. I think there's enough players in this room to believe that it can, and one of the most important things is creating some turnovers. Kentucky was really, really bad at creating turnovers last year, 
if they can have someone step up like Geiger, get a couple of interceptions, make a couple of explosive plays, I think it's going to be really important in some really, really tight games. I'm looking at Ole Miss, South Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida. You've got to be able to have somebody on your back end step up, not just also as a, as a player that creates turnovers, but somebody that communicates well. That's something that's, I think, lost in the fold sometimes whenever you're breaking down individual matchups is looking at a secondary and asking the question, okay, how are these guys going to respond to this opposing team's passing attack, not just from a schematic standpoint, from a, from a communication standpoint? Whenever they understand, okay, something's going wrong early in the game, are they going to be able to communicate, talk it out, and work it out? And the coaches are also at the same time going to be able to give them some adjustments if they've not already figured them out. I think Jalen Geiger, strong safety, back end, is going to be important. One of the most important players on this team. At number eight, I have Jordan Dingle, the tight end. He's gotten a lot of praise from the coaching staff. Kentucky needs viable pass catchers. I don't necessarily think he's going to be up there in terms of statistical production, but we've heard so much out of, uh, out of him uh, during camp. I've heard that he's made his way up to uh, the top of this tight end room, and he's probably going to make some noise. So I'm excited about him, not just as a pass catcher, but as a blocker. He's very, very versatile. I've seen several sites classify him as a Swiss Army knife. I believe Vince Morrow was the one that uh, gave him that, that label. But yeah, Jordan Dingle at number eight. Going to try and move along here relatively quickly. So we're not sitting here for three and a half hours talking about these 10 players. At number seven, I have whoever plays at left tackle. That may be David Wallabaugh. I believe that's who's going to be uh, be starting at left tackle, Wally there, or Keonta Goodwin. I think those are the two that you're looking at. If it, if it's Wally, you, he has to be able to produce. This offensive line, because of the couple of injuries that they've had so far during fall camp, we don't know if Kenneth, Kenneth Horsey is going to be able to go, if he's 100% right now. and You've got some concerns there. You have to be able to execute in the positions where you do have healthy players. Left tackle, obviously one of the most important, if not the most important position on the offensive line outside of center. At number seven, I have Jacquez Jones, linebacker. He was Kentucky's second most productive linebacker this season, and he's going to need to be important again. This linebacker core as a whole is going to be very vital to this defense for a couple of reasons. Number one, I think turnovers are, are going to be very important for the Wildcats this season. We're talking right now about the Wildcats potentially winning a, a 10 games or having an outside shot at the SEC East title. You have to be able to get some lucky plays or some breaks or some turnovers. And Kentucky's most experienced unit on the defensive side of the ball is the linebacker room. They have to be able to get production out of those guys. Jack West Jones also has to be a little bit more productive, I think, rushing the passer. I don't know if Kentucky's necessarily going to ask him to do that, but it's something that I would like to see out of him was whenever he gets those opportunities, he executes. At number five, I have Chris Rodriguez Jr. You may say, why is he not higher on this list? The only reason that he's not higher on this list and that he's number five is because we expect him to miss a fourth of the season. We expect him to miss three or four games. We don't know if it's three. We don't know if it's four. We're going to have to find that out here soon. But Chris Rodriguez Jr. comes in at number five. Obviously, he's going to be very vital to this rushing attack. Based on the way that this coaching staff has talked about the running back room so far during fall camp, I'm starting to feel confident about the depth that we have, and it's not like I didn't feel confident before, don't get me wrong. These transfer additions, Dee Beckwith, Ramon Jefferson, you've already got guys in there uh, like, like Vassier Smoke, Juton McClain. You've got guys in that room that can perform. I think collectively, if you're going to 
if your concern lies in Chris Rodriguez's production being missed in those first four games, I think they're going to get it out of those four guys one way or another. Kentucky's going to run the ball. They're going to be balanced. But Chris Rodriguez, obviously, most talented back on this team. He's he's top five most important player. But because he misses a fourth of the season, likely, uh, I've got him down at number five. Because I think other players are going to step up in his place, and that makes them more valuable and more important in those games. And obviously, he can't be important. Well, on the field, he can't be important. His absence, who knows? We may sit here and say, yeah, the guys that Kentucky's got in the running back room can't get it done, and Chris Rodriguez actually is really important, even though he's not playing. But I think because he's not playing, I, I'm, I'm putting him down lower. And there's one player actually above him that I think is going to be very, very important in those first four games. All right, Keydron Smith, transfer from Ole Miss, defensive back is at number four. Smith is probably going to be Kentucky's top, top uh, cover corner. You could probably give that title to Jordan Wright. Um, even though he's going to play outside linebacker, also going to play a little bit of defensive back or pass coverage, at least consistently, I think. And I guess you wouldn't say Jordan Wright is Kentucky's top cover corner. I mean, but he's probably one of Kentucky's better pass coverage defenders, I guess is, is a better way to put it. It's weird thinking he's an out, outside linebacker. But anyway, Keydron Smith, probably going to be Kentucky's top cover corner. There's going to be a lot of different things asked uh, out of this kid, especially considering I... I hate to say this, I don't like the depth in the secondary, and it's probably my biggest area of concern outside of the receiver room heading into this season. You're going to need to guy, the guys on your top end to step up, and they need to be able to make plays and make plays consistently. Again, to go back what I, to what I was saying earlier, turnovers I think are going to be very important or at least getting stops, getting deflections, getting some pressure, not on the ball, but like out of this, this uh, defensive back end here. You've got to be able to find something a little bit more than, than, than average. You've got to be able to find something. Keydron Smith, I think he's going to be very important to this team. Not necessarily locking down the, the opposition's number one receiver, but definitely being there. Number three, Tavion Robinson, wide receiver. I think that he's going to carry a load in the passing game. Not much as, as much as Wandale Robinson. Don't get me wrong. I don't think that he's going to be as productive as Wandale Robinson was. I don't think that he's on the level that Robinson was, but we may see. I think he's still going to carry a load, though. Reason being, less because of how talented he is, which he is very talented, but more because of the experience that he brings to this unit. Obviously, it's a new scheme for him, but I think he slots in more comfortably than any of these other receivers on roster. I think he's just going to... It's not necessarily plug-and-play, but it's plug-and-play. We talked about it earlier. Those first four games of the season... Most important one being Florida. If Chris Rodriguez is not playing, which doesn't look like he's going to, and Kentucky's running attack struggles, the point of emphasis, I think, for this offense will be Will Levis to Tavion Robinson, finding him in spots where you need to find him. And I think Florida knows that, and I think they're going to try and put a stop to that. But I still think Tavion's got to be able to step up and I think it's going to be really important, his connection with Will Levis, not just early in the season, but for the entire year. And again, I think Dane Key, I think Jordan Dingle, I think there are other players in, the, in this offense, Demarcus Harris. I mean, there, there are other players, players in this offense that could step up, but man, Tavion, I think for this team this year, because of the lack of experience in that wide receiver room, he's going to be one of the three most important players on this team. All right, quickly here. Number two, DeAndre Square, Kentucky's most productive linebacker, only by a tackle, but he also had three sacks. 
I believe he had an inter- interception. You're going to need production out of that linebacker room. You're not necessarily going to ask these guys to have 100 tackles, but you're going to need them to play well. It's the most experienced. It's, it's the best unit on this defense. They're going to be really, really important. They were important last year in crucial moments. DeAndre Square is going to be huge for the Wildcats this year alongside Jacquez Jones. And then at number one, Will Levis, the quarterback. This makes sense. We don't really have to argue about this. He's going to be carrying the load. Now, statistically, whether or not he improves over what he did last season, I think that's the question you have to ask here. Don't know if he's going to. like to see the first couple of games to really get a grasp on that. But Will Levis is at number one. He's the most important player on this team. He's the most important player on this team. If you disagree, if you think I've left a player off, probably so. Carrington Valentine, I'm sure we could probably name a couple other linebackers. Somebody on the defensive line, maybe getting some pressure. I'm sure there are players out there that y'all would like to... Uh, to say are one of the 10 most important. You can leave them in the YouTube comments, or you can hit me on the socials again, at LocksOnUK on Twitter. All right, final segment. I want to talk to you guys about the nine-game schedule that could potentially be implemented uh, whenever Texas and Oklahoma move to the SEC. I believe we've talked about this before on the pod, but I want to ask the question again. Would it positively or negatively impact the Wildcats to play nine games in the SEC instead of eight? Before we do that, I want to just politely ask you guys again to subscribe to the YouTube channel over 2,200 subscribers. I see y'all subscribing. I see y'all commenting. I really appreciate all the feedback on the show right now. Really, really excited about the direction of the show right now. Uh, only been doing this for, gosh, we haven't been even been doing this for a year and we are gaining traction. Uh, steadily, we are gaining traction. So really appreciate you guys being so positive and leaving good feedback on the show giving your thoughts on different things, engaging. It's been a lot of fun. Also, if you're listening on podcast, continue to leave those reviews, preferably five stars. And uh, if you could give me some feedback on the show, I'll be sure to shout you out. All right. Would a nine-game schedule in the SEC positively or negatively impact the Wildcats? Now, this is not official, but there was there were several reports just a couple of days ago that the SEC... They've had some. They've had a really, really hard time getting on the same page this offseason when it comes to deciding what the uh, schedule model looks like whenever Texas and Oklahoma move to the SEC and what right now is 2025, but uh, some people out there believe that it may be earlier than that, uh, especially considering that the Big 12 has got four different teams coming to the conference, and there's a lot of pettiness surrounding Texas and Houston, and I'm just curious to see if Texas tries to urge things along so they don't have to play them or lose to them. That would be hilarious. But anyway, point being is that one way or another, the schedule's going to be changed. And it looks like right now, the SEC's leaning towards a nine-game conference schedule. And while this may be viewed as like an overall, like a good thing for the conference, I don't, and I think I've voiced my opinion on this before, I don't know if it's good for the mid-tier to the bottom tier of the conference. It's good for the players. It's good for the, for the teams that are consistently up there at the top. I don't know if it's good for teams like Kentucky. So I lean towards the side of negatively impacting the Wildcats, if I had to answer my own question, because of, and this is very similar to what we talked about just earlier on in the show, because of the history and the expectation for the Wildcats, I view them as a middle-of-the-pack SEC team. Now, over these past couple years, have they been that? No. In fact, I think they've been one of the top five teams in the SEC at times, and Mark Stoops is consistently one of the top five, top three coaches uh, in the SEC, depending on if you think Jimbo Fisher is good at his job or not. And that's neither here nor there. We don't have to talk about that today. But the way I view the Wildcats is 
uh, a little bit out of fear because of I I just I just don't know what this team's going to look like after Mark Stoops leaves. I don't know. And maybe you you sit here and say, well, you can't really speculate on that because live in the now a little bit. Sure. But also, I'm just trying to project years down the road here. Just trying to project, okay, what would this program look like when Texas and Oklahoma move and all these things change? The reason I think this would be more difficult and would negatively impact the Wildcats, I think is a pretty obvious reason. You get one less cupcake game that you could potentially win. If you're trying, if the goal is to get to a bowl game, which is what's kind of been the lofty goal for the Wildcats for most of their existence is getting to that bowl, getting to those that sixth win. You want as many cupcakes as possible. You already play Louisville every single year, and that game uh, every few years is difficult. Um, it's it's not been as difficult as of late, but uh, every every uh, every few years that game's difficult. That that's a that's a that's a program that can elevate to where it could beat you. And so you, that's one non-conference game that you could potentially lose consistently. And then the other two, I mean, if you win those, you're sitting at three wins, and you've got to find three wins in the SEC. And I'm going to go out there on a limb and say Texas and Oklahoma, if they do somehow find their way onto Kentucky's schedule, those are probably, let's just be honest with ourselves here, probably going to be better teams consistently than the Wildcats. So you would bank on them being... Difficult matchups added on to an already difficult schedule in which you have to find three more wins outside of non-conference play. And one of those games in non-conference play is not always guaranteed. Also, what about the years that you want to go and schedule um, a legitimate non-conference opponent for week one? What if you want to schedule a home-and-home with somebody? That makes it difficult. Makes it really, really difficult because if you pay, if you if you face two Power 5 schools outside of your your daunting SEC schedule... I mean, that's a year where you just, unless you are you, you have a team like this, what Kentucky has this year, you just don't feel incredibly confident. And so if you, it, it, there's, it, it's one game, but I think that it's significant. There is a huge difference to me between four non-conference wins and three. Because you can find a Vanderbilt and Missouri to whoop up on every year. You can find those two teams in your division, and I think eventually we're going to be without divisions, but you can find two of those teams. But when they start to shuffle things around, and you have to play teams like LSU consistently, you have to play play teams like Mississippi State, Auburn, Arkansas, Texas A&M, Alabama, outside of the cream of the crop in the SEC East already, looking at Georgia, Tennessee, Florida. I mean, it's really, really difficult to find that third team that you're like, yeah, we can beat. We can beat this team. Because you could scrape by on six and six, two and six in the SEC. You can scrape by on that. But it's, gosh, it's, it, to me, it's so much more difficult to find that third team that you can beat, at least consistently, if you're a team like Kentucky has been. I'm not saying that's what they are now. I'm not even saying that's what they're going to be. Again, like I said earlier, we don't know what Kentucky's going to look like after Mark Stoops leaves. Because right now, there's like a baseline of consistency. And you like to feel you, you would like to think that you feel comfortable with where this team's at moving forward until he leaves. But man, based on what Kentucky has been, again, history and expectation, if things revert back to that after Stoops is gone in the future, I I, I don't feel incredibly confident. I, I would lean toward it negatively impacting the Wildcats, a nine-game conference slate. If you guys have thoughts on this, I'd love to hear your opinion on it. You can hit me on the socials at Locked On UK. Uh, and then again, you can leave it in the YouTube comments 
below. All right, that's going to do it for today's episode of Locked On Kentucky. You can uh, you can follow the show on Twitter, like I just mentioned, at Locked On UK. You can follow me on Twitter, at Lance Dahl underscore, and you can follow the show over on Instagram. That is at Kentucky Podcast. Any questions, comments, concerns, again, leave them in the YouTube comments. Hit me on the socials. I will see you all tomorrow for another episode of Locked On Kentucky. Hope you guys have a great rest of your day, and God bless.